He's got a beautiful backswing. Dad, oh, he got all of that one. Oh my gosh. That is amazing. Lay up with an iron into the hazard. Well, that wasn't quite what I meant, you know. What is good, everybody? Welcome into the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Sam Humphreys and Taylor Williams with you today as we recap the Dell Technologies match play. Last week, we will preview not only San Antonio on the PGA Tour this week, but we're going to preview Live, see what those guys are playing like leading into the Masters third event. I think it's a big one there, but we do need to start with the Dell Technologies match play T-Dub, and we did our radio show on Sunday, and we were prognosticating that we could get this battle you know, of the gods, right? That the top guys on the PGA Tour, two of the favorites at Augusta coming up in a couple weeks for the championship. Well, T-Dub, we got that match, but (laughs) not how we thought we were going to get it. We got it in the consolation match. It was actually Sam Burns and Cameron Young. And so I thought it was actually a more entertaining morning to Sunday than it was an afternoon. And even though Scotty Scheffler and Rory played each other, it didn't have the same luster since it was a consolation match. But man, Sam Burns goes out there and plays unbelievable golf. T-Dub, Sam Burns now is just one of six players with five victories in the last three years joining this elite list. Rory McIlroy, Scotty Scheffler, Patrick Cantlay, John Rahm, and Max Homa. That is an impressive list, and that proves to me that Sam Burns, while he might not be on that you know, S-tier, elite tier of guys like a Scotty Scheffler, Rory McIlroy, um, or John Rahm, I think you still have to put him in that tier 1A along with Patrick Cantlay, Max Homa, and you know, maybe throw a couple other guys in there. But Sam Burns is a young star on the PGA Tour, and I don't think it gets talked about enough. Impressive 6-5 and five victory over Cam Young in the finals, and obviously impressive victory over his good buddy Scotty Scheffler in that morning match and some clutch, clutch putts that he made in that match as well. Well, I mean, yeah, off Sam Burns, I mean, he, he has flown under the radar pretty considerably when you talk about the success that he has. I mean, he's up to number 10 in the world now. He's, he already won the match play just a couple of days ago, won the Charles Schwab in a playoff against Scotty Scheffler. won the Valspar two years in a row, won the uh, Sanderson Farms a couple of years ago as well. So, I mean, he, he's won a lot of tour events now, and he was most known uh, the first time we heard about Sam Burns, really, besides the guys who know golf in particularly like us, was when he was paired with Tiger at the Honda Classic a few years ago and uh, actually played really well. I believe he beat Tiger that day or at least was in contention. So that's kind of where he made a name for himself. But, Sam, I mean, going back to what ha- what transpired on Sunday, I mean, there's absolutely no doubt about it that the morning matches were a hell of a lot more entertaining than the afternoon was. If you slept in or you had things to do Sunday morning and you missed the golf, it felt bad for you because it was some absolutely exceptional stuff. I mean, we'll just go to the Sam Burns Scottie Shepherd match while we're on that. I mean, it was just an absolute shootout, really, the whole way. Uh, Sam Burns had gotten three up through the first three holes, and then Scheffler ends up coming back and was two up through uh, 12 holes. And then all of a sudden they get tied, and then uh, Burns sits in there tied on 17 to make a birdie. Scheffler's able to birdie 18. They go into a playoff. You have Scotty Scheffler, 
do something that we hadn't seen really since uh, the 18th on at Augusta. Missed a four-foot putt to, to, to win the match, and then we go on, and Sam Burns makes a great birdie on the 21st hole. So, I mean, that was uh, – I don't know, Sam. What do you think about, about the ending of that match? It was pretty shocking to see uh, Scheffler essentially just hand Sam Burns that, uh, that title. And you think about it, if Scotty Scheffler makes that putt and, and Burns isn't able to move on, What's the money difference there for, for Sam Burns? About two point something million dollars? No I mean, doubt. what were your thoughts on Chef really just kind of choking it off there at the end? Look, I mean, he hit some great shots coming down the stretch, and he hit some bad ones and, and some terrible ones. Let's talk about the putt on the second playoff hole, the four-footer that you mentioned. I don't think he was ever sure about that putt. He talked himself into missing that putt, T-Dub. He brought Ted Scott in. The you know broadcast was even talking about this as the longest he has spent on a putt all day. What do I always say, T-Dub? A 10-foot putt is a 10-foot putt. A 4-foot putt is a 4-foot putt, whether it's to win the match and make the finals or whether you're playing a first-round match in pool play. T-Dub, he treated it different than he treated any other putt. I don't know whether that was because it was to win the match or because he was unsure of the break, but he definitely hit a timid putt on that second playoff hole. And then it's like Sam Burns has new life. But what I will say where I don't necessarily think that Scotty choked necessarily because he had immense pressure put on him uh, by Sam Burns. You got to give Sam Burns credit for that fairway bunker shot that he hit to about what 15 feet um, on that third playoff hole, and then Scotty Scheffler absolutely flushes one, just hits a rocket right through the wind over the green. Um, I think he probably would have gotten that up and down, but Sam Burns rolls in that birdie putt after being in the left fairway bunker off the tee. That was impressive. So, yes, Scotty did hit some sneaky choke-like shots coming down the stretch, and obviously the four-foot putt um, is obvious, but Sam Burns did hit clutch shots down the stretch, and you've got to give him all the credit in the world for winning the match. I don't necessarily think that Scotty Scheffler just lost it. I think that Sam Burns definitely hit shots to win the match, if that makes any sense. It absolutely does, and I agree with what you're saying, because, I mean, you look at the scorecard, and even on the first 18 holes, Scheffler had carded a, a six under par, essentially. So, I mean, he, uh, and in match play, you know, obviously the putts can be given and all that. But at the same time, he was playing some good golf. He just didn't hit a very good putt there on the second playoff. But one thing about the putt, too, that's shocking is that, I mean, they're, they're what, the, the third group, essentially, to play that hole. So, I mean, the greens are just smooth as ever. You do have a little bit of wind coming off that water there. So, I think that probably had something to do with it. But, yeah, I've seen Scheffler miss a few uh, four to eight footers this week. That may be something to look out for next week. At Augusta, or, or in a couple weeks at Augusta, if that uh, if that uh, bogs him down any at all. But I mean, Sam also going on to what I think is a bigger choke job was Rory McIlroy against Cam Young. I mean, he's two up with three to play, doesn't birdie the par five sixteenth, uh, doesn't isn't able to hit a good shot in there on seventeen, misses the green, and, and then isn't able to birdie eighteen. Didn't he got a little bit screwed on his drive, but at the same time it, he kind of blocked it, so he wasn't in good place. And then in the playoff hole, Sam. Cam Young hits in the bunker. Rory has what well, we have a green light situation. Cam Young has to lay up. Cam Young ends up winning the hole on or winning the match on that hole because he hit it in there to 15 feet, and made a clutch birdie. And Rory played way too conservative on that second shot. Didn't hit the uh, the best chip in the world, and then didn't make the putt. So uh, we mentioned earlier about Scotty choking on that one putt. I think Rory considerably choked off a lot more than Scotty did. I hear what you're saying there too, but let's talk about the playoff hole first since you just now mentioned it. 
number one, Rory got extremely lucky off the tee, and Cam Young got extremely unlucky off the tee. If you didn't see the match, there was a right fairway bunker on this par five, basically, where everyone's hitting it 400 yards, but neither of them hit it straight, so the, uh, they didn't obviously hit it 400 yards. It kicks down to the right into this fairway bunker, supposedly into this fairway bunker. We can't see it. They go to commercial break. We get back from commercial break, and Cam Young's ball is up against the lip of this bunker, and Rory somehow is not in the bunker on a flat lie, and Cam Young literally just has to blast it out to, like, 197 yards out and Rory has an iron in his hands that he can obviously get to the green but T-Dub here's what I'm going to say I'm going to say I would have done the exact same thing that Rory McIlroy did there where he screwed up was the pin was back right and there's a spine of a bunker that is middle green side up there and the bunker is middle green side and the spine kind of rolls off of it you have to stay short right of the green he was kind of past the front edge of the green when he laid up to the right of the green t-dub so what i'm saying is he had a terrible angle on that chip shot where he had to deal with the spine of the bunker if he was 10 yards shorter he could have put that chip shot within eight feet or so instead he's what 10 15 feet away on that chip and then all of a sudden Cam Young kind of similar to what I said about Sam Burns hit an unbelievable shot to about 10 feet he rolls in his putt because Rory Rory's chip shot was just inside of Cam Young's ball Uh, now we have a Mongolian reversal situation where Cam Young rolls in the putt now all the pressure in the world is on Rory McIlroy T-Dub and I mean, unbelievable four there from Cam Young. I mean, I I don't necessarily think it was a massive choke. I see what you're saying. He has an iron in his hands, but the guy just blasted out. The odds of him making four are slim, and the odds of you getting that up and down normally are very high. He just laid up too far and had to deal with the spine of that bunker. I didn't think it was necessarily a huge choke, but I see what you're saying. I I think it was just a classic example of expecting too much from the situation in match play, you're supposed to expect your, your opponent to hold every shot, but he was anticipating Cam Young to make a par, and he was going to say I was going to win it with birdie. But I consider it more of a choke, Sam, when I look at what transpired before that. I mean, you look at 16, where he hits, it pulls it left into the bunker, isn't able to make birdie because he has to lay up. Then, like I mentioned earlier, doesn't hit the not a very good shot into 17, doesn't give himself a chance at birdie, and then isn't able to birdie 18. So you're telling me, if all you had to tell was Rory McIlroy on the 16th, all you have to do is birdie one of these next three holes and you win? I think saying that he wouldn't do that on considering 16 and 18, he can basically, a 16 and get there in two, and 18 he can almost drive. You have to birdie one of those holes. And then even going back to 12 in the first time, he had a horrible shot out of the bunker when they both hit in the bunker in regulation. And then Rory hits it absolutely in the water. So he played the par fives one over the, on the last, uh, the last three times he played, including the playoff hole. So that's where I considered a choke stand was that he had so many opportunities before that to steal the deal, and he just couldn't do it. No doubt about it. And then, like you said, he got unlucky on 18 uh, before they went into the playoff. By the way, clutch, clutch putting by Cam Young in that match. And, I mean, using the claw grip, he uses the exact same grip that I use. I I actually love to see the fact that he was stepping up to keep 10-foot putts and just rolling them right in the heart. Now, 
on that drive on 18, he Rory did get screwed where it hit the right lip of the greenside bunker, went to the left lip of the greenside bunker, and didn't get down in there and had to hit it out to 30 feet. Now, it didn't really make a huge difference because if Rory doesn't get that ball up and down, either way, Cam Young is going to have to make that putt, assuming that Rory McIlroy two putts, and he ended up hitting a great lag putt up there to about a foot uh, and forced Cam Young to make that putt. And Cam Young made that putt and then made an unbelievable birdie on the playoff hole. Uh, T-Dub, I think that's another situation where Yes, Rory did give away shots coming down the stretch, but unfortunately, Cam Young, unfortunately for Rory, Cam Young just played unbelievable golf coming down the stretch. Again, I don't necess- I saw more of Sam Burns and Cam Young playing clutch golf than I saw of Rory and Scotty really choking. Yes, Scotty missed the four footer, and Rory definitely gave away some shots, but. The only reason why they were huge shots was because of the clutch golf from Young and, and Burns. I I can see both sides of this. I'm not going going hard at one side or the other. Yeah, and, and chokes may be a strong word. I, I kind of relate it similarly to what happened at the Open Championship, right? I mean, Rory didn't play absolutely horrible golf on Sunday, but he just played very conservative, and then Cam Smith's able to go out and end up winning the tournament. So I think it was kind of similar to that aspect where Rory just didn't really go take the bull by the horns, just kind of let – other things happened to him, and Cam Young was able to go out and essentially win it and get him and Burns into that final match. So, yeah, I, I think more or less that uh, somewhere in the middle of kind of what, what I've been saying is, is about there. I just I haven't heard a lot of people talking about the fact that Rory and Sheffa really both should have won these matches. Everyone is talking about how great Burns played in the final, in the final match, and rightfully so. But it's just we could have very easily, Sam, had the star-lighted matchup that we won in the final round, but instead we got in the consolation. Did you feel like the consolation match had its luster taken away? I know it was two of the top three golfers in the world, T-Dub, but it just didn't feel like that to me. Let's talk about that match for a second. Rory, I mean, he had the lead the entire match, ends up winning the match, what, two and one? But it just never, it never seemed like either of those guys were just grinding like they would have if it was the final match. Maybe I'm wrong about that. No, I think you're 100% right. It looked like to me they were like, hey, let's hurry up. Let's get this done. Let's get on the, the next flight home. I mean, they are pl- they were playing for what? About $350,000 or something like that. Essentially, what was the difference between third and fourth place? So there was a little bit riding on it. You could tell that they, they were trying in definitely areas, but there wasn't that 120% focus that you would have saw if they were in, in the final match, which is kind of a shame. But at the same time, it was still some fairly decent golf out there. I mean, Rory was able to make a, a really great eagle on the 12th hole, which if he could have done that against Cam <laughs> Young, then he would have been <laughs> in, right. the, in the final match. So uh, maybe a little bit too little too late there for Rory. But, yeah, you're exactly right. One, two, and one. Kind of had the match. Controlled the whole way. Won the first hole. Uh, Sheffler uh, made a bogey on one and then never lost the lead after that. Never even got back to tied at any point. So, yeah, it was just Rory in control almost the entire way. It looked like that. Uh, kind of like I mentioned, they were both a little deflated. And uh, Rory just getting out to that lead early, I think, just allowed him to keep a little bit more more momentum as the match extended on. You know what that consolation match between McElroy and Scheffler reminded me of was when a team is in college football in playoff contention and they lose a game late in the regular season, they end up going to, you know, some big bowl but it's not in the playoffs like like the the sugar bowl when it's not in the playoffs or the uh cotton bowl or something like that and it's a big game and it's like OU versus Alabama but neither team made the playoffs and it's just who wants it more is going to win that game and it just 
kind of felt like Rory McIlroy wanted it more than Scotty Scheffler. Scotty Scheffler, after you know losing late in that match and missing the short putt to Sam Burns, um, it, it just felt like Rory wanted it more, considering that he is behind Scotty Scheffler in the world rankings, and he's leading up to Augusta, trying to gain confidence with the driver and the putter it just seemed like Rory had a little bit more to prove in that consolation match than Scotty Scheffler did yeah I think there's a little bit of that for sure I mean Scheffler was the defending champion at this tournament not not working on as much as Rory was Rory with the new driver shaft and the new putter uh two things that are extremely important going in the next week at, at Augusta so yeah I, I think Rory had a little bit more to play for in that aspect but at the same time, I think both of them were were obviously not very happy that they were not in the in the final match. But good thing we had this consolation match, Sam, because the final match got done in about two hours, and we needed some <laughs> other TV to watch at the end. Yeah, well, I mean, I was watching basketball, T Dub. Let's not get it twisted. I was. Definitely... We needed other golf to watch. My apologies. <laughs> we needed other golf to watch. I, I mean, Scotty Scheffler wasn't the only Longhorn that let it slip away uh, on Sunday, T Dub. I mean, the, the Texas Longhorns. We could we could talk all day about that choke in the second half to Miami. But anyways, I digress. Uh, yeah, let's talk about Sam Burns because that match was interesting because. Burns did get down one after the second hole, but then the putter got hot, T-Dub. I mean, he made a wild run of long putts. I mean, he made the 12-footer on number 10, a 24-footer at number 12, um, and then he just started rolling and ends up winning the match 6-5. and five. I thought that Cam Young struggled with the driver in the final match a little bit. Uh, it seemed like his tempo was off a little bit. He kept... Uh, hitting the driver way left, and I feel like that a lot of those issues come from tempo. It's it seemed like almost like we used to talk about with Hideki. It was almost a little bit too much of a pause at the top for Cam Young. Did you see any of that with his driver? And then obviously Sam Burns' putter is what won him the match. He was just absolutely hibachi in that final match. I was about to say the exact same thing you were, Sam, so I guess great minds think alike in, in this situation. I mean, he's got a very similar pause to what Hideki had. He probably has a more aggravated pause than Hideki does currently, but you go back to, to, to the younger Hideki for sure, there were some extended pauses, and that's one thing I used to say about, about him back then. It was, yeah, the pause gets – the timing of it is different. Each time in the body can outrush the arms a lot more under pressure, and I saw a little bit of that from Cam Young as well. He actually – and Lickley didn't hit his driver very well this week at all. He really gained most of his shots uh, approach. And then, shockingly, compared to what he does most of his career, gained a lot of shots on the green. So, Cam Young, who can figure out how to putt and then get his driver back to where it usually is, I mean, watch out. That guy could be a top-five player of the world very, very easily. But but Sam Burns, Sam, I mean, Cam Young was actually one up through four holes, which is pretty crazy to think about. And, and then Burns, in a stretch of ten holes, makes eight birdies. I mean, you mentioned all the extensively long putts he made. But he was in some shots in there tight as well along the way. The only two pars that he had from the holes, four through 13, were on seven and hole nine. And to the best of my knowledge, I can't remember any of them that were conceded. So I think they were all pretty pretty much hand done. On the last hole 13, Cam Young knew he needed to make a little bit of move and tried to drive it on the green with the three-wood and came up about five yards too short. So, so that one you, you could look at maybe. But, but, I mean, Sam, it was just immaculate golf for, from Sam Burns. It, it was crazy to see. We, we talk all because we look at the analytics, how he's one of the best putters in the world, but it, it's crazy just to see when that thing gets hot, it's, ve- it's very similar to what we saw from Cam Smith last year. And we talked about how he might be the best putter we've ever seen. 
No doubt about it. And as we look forward to Augusta, you got to look at guys that are great on the greens, T-Dub. And you're exactly right. The analytics back this up. Sam Burns has not lost shots on the field on the greens in a tournament since the Sanderson Farms. Now, he lost shots on the greens at the Cadence Bank Houston Open, but he withdrew from that, so I'm not counting that. So if you don't count that, it's been since the Sanderson Farms, which was the first tournament he played after the Tour Championship, every other tournament, T-Dub, he's actually gained over half a shot on the greens. This week he gained 1.56 per round on the greens, T-Dub. He has to be a factor at Augusta National considering he got that confidence back with the ball striking at the Valspar. Uh, His ball striking was impressive this week at the Dell Technologies match play as well. Now, I, I do still worry a little bit about his irons because there's not a premium put on iron shots at Austin Country Club. And obviously, the Valspar, he's very comfortable there. So I would worry still a little bit about the irons with Sam Burns, but at the same time, when you're rolling the rock like that, you always got a chance, T-Dub. Yes, you're going to have to be able to make putts and be able to navigate those greens. I will say one one concern about Sam Burns that I do have is, in the, what I believe he's played in 10 majors now, maybe it's nine, and his best finish is is a T-20th at Southern Hills, where we were at last year, Sam, and besides that, his best finish is a 27th at the U.S. Open, so he is getting a little bit better every year that he's played, still a very young player, but so very similar to, to what we talked about with Max Homa and just needing to be able to see it in the majors before we can fully trust it. I'm kind of there with Sam Burns. Maybe he needs a few growing pains, a few uh, top tens, top fives before he can officially earn that title. But but at the end of the day, would it shock me if Sam Burns won? I guess absolutely not because he can hit the ball extremely high, which is one of the number one factors that you need at a guess to be able to hold those greens. So, yeah, it wouldn't be a shock one bit if, if he plays good. But at this point, Sam, his hit track history in the majors would not lead you to believe that he would win. No doubt about it. And obviously, we have to talk about Cam Young's chances leading into Augusta. I mean, the last major championship we saw Cam Young at, he finished second at the Open Championship. A lot of people remember Cam Smith and Rory. Well, I mean, Cam Young actually beat Rory McIlroy in that golf tournament. A lot of people forget that. And we saw here in Oklahoma him finish tied for third, had the tournament in the palm of his hands at Southern Hills. It's been the putter that has been streaky for Cam Young. Yes, we talked about his ball striking in that final match where it might have gone haywire a little bit, but the putter this week, he gained almost a full shot per round on the field on the greens. And so T-Dub, that is very, very good for Cam Young leading into the Masters because at the Arnold Palmer, he lost a half a shot putting. At the Genesis, he lost .24 putting. At the Waste Management, he lost over a shot on the field putting. And at the American Express, he lost over a shot on the field putting. So that was the club that he had to get figured out before these major championships. Those clutch putts coming down the stretch against Rory McIlroy uh, really kind of impressed me and, and showed me that this guy can make big putts and big moments. Now, he's going to have to get a couple things figured out, but he has been up there in majors. I know he's young, but he has been up there in majors before. Rookie of the year last year, obviously, he's a guy that you have to look at as well if that putter is as hot as it was this week in Austin. Hey, you bring up the majors, Sam. I, I forget even to this 
day that how close he was at Southern Hills. I mean, the winner of the Colin Montgomery Holy Award at the end of the season for sneakiest choke of the year was Cam Young at that exact tournament. I mean, it's just crazy how he really should have been at worst in that playoff if not won it individually. We look at Mino Pereira, but yes, he should have won it. But listen to this track record, Sam, of the six majors Cam Young's played in. Second, third, miscut, 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 miscut. So, I mean, it is literally hit or miss with our man Cam Young. And like you said, he was a rookie last year, so he's only playing in his uh, in his fifth major as a uh, since he's joined the PGA Tour and his only second time at Augusta. Missed the cut last year at Augusta. Put it absolutely horrible on those greens and actually did not hit his irons very well that week. But very similar to Sam Burns, he hits, his, he hits the ball exceptionally high, which is going to be something that is going to be very, very pivotal. And he also can, can take advantage of the par fives with his length. So, yes, I think he has to be on people's radar for sure if he can – Get, just get a little bit more familiar with the golf course. And you mentioned the putting, Sam. I mean, I, I still think Cam Young, from at least what I saw at Southern Hills and from what I've seen later in the season, what was the best driver in the game of golf at that point. And if he can, in, even this year, he's not analytically as high as he was last year. If he can just get up to there, maybe start hitting the ball just slightly a little bit straighter, I, I think that he's going to be an absolute world beater if he can make those putts because – with the birdie opportunity he's going to have with all those short wedges, and he has a very good smooth wedge action, so I think that he's going to be able to control his spin. He can fly his wedges really good. Very, very underrated part of his game from what I saw this week. And so if he's able to get that putter rolling, Sam, like I said, I think he's going to be a top-five player. No doubt. And so for picking him at Augusta National to finish in the top ten or top five, it's a risk, but I feel like it's an acceptable risk because on Data Golf, the analytics have him as the ninth ranked player in the world. In the OWGR, he's ranked 14th in the world. If you just look at the FedEx Cup, he's ranked 33rd on the FedEx Cup. Now, I say that, and, and you would think, yeah, there's some value there for Cam Young at Augusta National, but yeah, you bring up a great point. He missed the cut last year, putted horrible. Maybe there's some scar tissue already at Augusta National, so... It's a risk, but I feel like he might be a little bit different player. He hadn't finished tied for third at the PGA yet. He hadn't finished second at the Open Championship yet uh, when he missed the cut at the Masters last year. So, yes, it's a risk, and you would be weighing uh, current form on top of uh, prior course history, T-Dub. Well, and also, too, let's let's maybe look at what might be one of the biggest impacts here is the new caddy, Paul DeSorey. I think that's going to make... A Great phenomenal point. difference. Point. It's going to make a huge difference. It may be very similar, but maybe not to the exact same extent because what we saw last year with Scheffler and Ted Scott was honestly historic. Uh, but I think it'll be similar to that aspect, maybe just a grade or two lower. I think he's going to win multiple times this year. Still has yet to win on the PGA Tour, which is pretty crazy. Uh, so, yeah, I think he's definitely going to get that first win with Paul DeSorey on the bag. The question is going to be if it's going to be in a major or not. And uh, I think we'll wait to see. I think we're going to talk about him a lot at for Augusta. But I think he's going to be a very, very highly picked guy at uh, the PJ Championship up at Oak Hill. Kind of probably similar, knows that area of the country well, probably played yep. that course a few times, and his game goes set up exceptionally well for there. So it wouldn't shock me one bit if he won either one of the majors, but if I, if you had to pick one or the other, I would pick him more at the PJ Championship and maybe even a, maybe even an L.A. Country Club more than I would at Augusta this year. No doubt about it. His dad, obviously, the director of golf at Sleepy Hollow up there in the Northeast as well. 
Yeah, I agree with you on that. Uh, T-Dub, last thing I kind of want to get to, we talked a little bit about this on the radio show. Uh, What were some disappointments, surprises from not only group play, but uh, just the the match play in general in Austin this week? I'll go with a couple of them. One of my disappointments has to be John Rahm coming out of that group. I, I felt like, yes, Ricky was in that group. Yes, Billy Horschel was in that group. But to let Billy Horschel win your group that has to be a disappointment John Rahm just continues to not quite look on form like he did earlier on in the year there was a point where I said John Rahm is the best golfer in the world and it's not even close T-Dub and then Scotty Scheffler goes on his run now Rory's figuring out the driver a little bit and he made some really clutch putts in this match play now I know his speed was a little wonky at times I feel like that was maybe because of the fact that it was match play I don't see him ramming that many putts at Augusta National but the driver really impressed me with Rory McIlroy this week the fact that John Rahm is not quite on form and Scotty Scheffler is the defending champion at Augusta out of that top tier guys the John Rahm Scotty Scheffler Rory McIlroy I think that Rory McIlroy is your best bet at Augusta National, T-Dub. I can't believe I'm saying that, but I, I think part of it is because of the disappointing play recently from John Rahm. Well, I brought this up on the radio show as well. If you would have went back in time a month and you would have said, out of Rory, Rahm, Scheffler, who would you go one, two, three? And if you put Rahm at start, everyone would say you're an absolute lunatic. And, and right now, I don't think there's any doubt about it that, that, that Scheffler – and Rom would be ahead of Rom at this point. I mean, I was a dead set on picking Rom at Augusta in the one and done. I'm very hesitant on it now, just from what I've seen. The driver just isn't there right now, Sam. I mean, a lot of things that you pointed out with his his alignment being a little bit too open, especially with his shoulders. I think it's causing a lot of problems. Maybe he can work it out. He knows Augusta very well, but yeah, I'm uh, I'm a little bit down on him going into it. A couple other disappointments, Sam. Jordan Spieth, I think, is a fairly big disappointment because he won his first match against Mackenzie Hughes, and then Mackenzie Hughes ends up getting out out of that uh, that group play. That's something you hardly ever see happen. He lost his next two matches and really just didn't play very well after that. Uh, A few others, Terrell Hatton, the guy who that uh, I think we were all pretty high on, didn't didn't win a single match in his group, so that was disappointing. Victor Hovland, another guy that that a lot of people were high on, didn't play very well. So uh, his his chipping needs to. uh, Definitely improve around Augusta because you can't hit 18 greens at that golf course. So it'll be very interesting to see if he's able to to maneuver that. Did play well in the last major championship at St. Andrews, so maybe he can build a little bit off of that momentum. And then one of my last disappointments, Sam, Will Zalatoris. That's a guy who's played Augusta extremely well the last two years, finished second and sixth. And uh, I think there's no way that you could think about picking Will Zalatoris with the form that we've seen recently. Did have that fourth at the Genesis, but since then, Sam, the uh, the game just hasn't been there, especially with the putter. There's been some uh, viral uh, viral uh, Twitter videos going around of some of his uh, three and four footers that he missed this last week. So there may be even more demons in his head with that putter than there were before, and that's uh, kind of scary. Yeah, let's talk about that for real quick because I dealt with that late in my high school career into college, and the way I got out of it, T-Dub, was one, I switched to the claw. Now, he switched to everything on planet Earth. His is a little worse than mine was um, on the greens, but T-Dub, I think the main thing with him is he has to trick his brain into being process-oriented and not results-oriented. The reason why, uh, you might say, why does he do that on shorter putts, which are essentially easier, it's because... 
that is the last time on that hole you are going to have a chance to make up a shot. And if you miss that putt, you're giving away a shot. And he knows that. And he's worried about the result. He has to somehow trick his brain into uh, having a process. And if he completes that process and the putt doesn't go in, be okay with that. But he's so worried about missing the putt that, you know, you have to trick your brain into being process-oriented and not results-oriented, T-Dub. I I feel like that is the fix, but it's very, very hard to do. Um, uh, One more guy or a couple more guys I want to talk about from group stage Ricky Fowler had to make the quarterfinals of the match play to get into the Masters. Now, we will see him at TPC San Antonio this week to try to win, but he has to win to get into the Masters. If he would have finished in the quarterfinals of the match play, he would have gotten gotten into the Masters. And when Billy Horschel beat John Rahm and essentially knocked Ricky Fowler out of that group. And so, T-Dub, number one, let's mention Ricky Fowler, then I'll get to one more guy, but uh, I think he's playing better golf. I wish we could see him at Augusta National. The things that he is doing with the golf swing since he moved to Butch Harmon, I think are really beneficial to his golf game. And I see Ricky Fowler playing golf and not golf swing for the first time in about three years, T-Dub. Yeah, so I get called by a Ricky hater by a lot of people, but I'm officially rooting for Ricky to win this week. I want him to, to see him at Augusta. I think, as you mentioned, his game is trending in a positive direction, and, and the game of golf really needs Ricky Fowler to be playing in these majors because he's such a fan favorite, and I think he can really help grow the game of golf. So, yeah, I'm rooting for him to win this week at San Antonio. I just think there's too much pressure on him. Uh, analytically, he is the, the fifth favorite this week, so you would think that he, he would have some a decent odds. And, and yes, and when you look at the rest of the field, it's not a very deep field. Yeah, he can easily win this tournament. I mean, when you just look at the skill of the player, but from all the things that I've seen, whenever he gets a little bit close to the leaderboard, a little bit bigger events, elevated events, but at the same time, there's so much pressure on him to win that I think he's going to need a lot of things to go his way. Maybe a situation where he's three or four back going into Sunday, shoots a low score with some heavy wins, and, and then the leaders are able to crumble down. That's the way I see. I don't see a situation where maybe even if Ricky is in the final group, hopefully I'm wrong because I would love to see him win. But uh, I think the pressure of what it would mean to get to win and get to Augusta, I think, will be too much for him to play uh, solid golf, at least in my opinion. Yeah, we'll definitely preview that coming up after the break. Uh, The last guy that I want to talk about, T-Dub, that no one is really talking about, but I feel like he played great golf this week, and sometimes you can't really take a whole lot from match play, but I took a whole lot from this guy's play this week. That is Xander Shoffley, and he's an interesting guy to look at as we lead into Augusta National. He hasn't missed a cut since the Masters last year. So is that a good thing leading into Augusta, or is that a bad thing leading into Augusta? All I know is that he went undefeated this week in group play at the match play and then had an epic battle with Rory McIlroy on that Saturday. And so T-Dub... I mean, that was impressive to me, and I think that he probably played the best out of the guys that nobody's talking about here at the match play. Like I said, he's been the most consistent player on the PGA Tour probably since the Masters last year. I mean, what do you think about his chances leading up to Augusta considering the fact that he did miss the cut there last year, but that was the last cut he missed? Unbelievable. That is pretty crazy. Well, I remember last year pretty vividly because I had him picked in some DraftKings pools that he only made one birdie through 36 holes in the, in the Masters when he missed the cut. So, I mean, he, he did not play very well 
and all that week. And his only birdie was actually on 17. He didn't even birdie any of the par fives, which is just an absolute disgrace uh, around that place. But, I mean, it must have pissed him off because he's been playing exceptionally well since that, as you mentioned. Really, the only time that, that he hasn't played well is when he had to withdraw at the Century Tournament Champions with his back. And you could tell from the way he was swinging, it wasn't one of those, oh, well, I think it hurts, blah, blah, blah. No, he was actually swinging in pain. He actually even tried to grind through it. So I applaud him for that. And, I mean, I think his time's pretty due, Sam. I mean, you could argue him or Cantlay is the best player currently without a major. I'm probably going to lean a little bit towards Shoffley. The analytics would say Cantlay. But I'm going to lean towards Shoffley. He does have the Olympic gold medal already. So, yeah, I think his time is coming. Is it going to be necessarily at Augusta? I think he's got to be on people's short list. I, I, it wouldn't shot me one bit if he won. But uh, maybe kind of similar to Cam Young, maybe some of the other venues would suit a little bit better. But uh, his time's coming, Sam, for sure. And uh, even though he did miss the cut last year, he has played Augusta pretty well in the past. Did finish um, second to Tiger, remember, in that big group of guys yep. in uh, in 2019. Finished. Then finished third, yeah. third in 2021 as well to Hideki. So, yeah, has some pretty good history at that course. But, uh, like I said, uh, best player currently without a major, in my opinion. So, yes, uh, has to be on people's shortlist. No doubt about it. The only thing he has to look out for at Augusta National is the Dottie Pepper wall of wind on 16. Uh, I guess, it, by the way, that's an inside joke. If you haven't been with us the entire time here on the 73rd hole, you definitely need to go back and listen to that 2021 Masters recap when we recap Dottie Pepper talking about the wall of wind here on 16 that just absolutely murdered uh, Xander Shoffley's ball and he hits it in the water. Anyways, we can go on and on about that, but it's going to be interesting. I can't wait for Augusta National. We're going to be there live at Augusta National, giving you guys coverage all week. Now, the coverage is going to be a little different, but we're planning on doing our big preview show with Jim Woodward and T-Dub and Craig Humphreys, my dad, live from Augusta National on that Tuesday evening. So be expecting that uh, coming up next Tuesday for Masters Week. Uh, and then we'll have, obviously, our halfway through show at the Masters and then our recap shows as well. We'll probably post some of our radio stuff that we're doing as well. We're going to be working men, but we're going to be at Augusta National. So it's all good, T-Dub. I cannot wait for next week but before we do that we do have tpc san antonio we have live golf orlando that we're going to talk about coming up here on the 73rd hole podcast right after the break uh by the way go follow us at the 73rd hole on twitter and at 73rd hole on instagram and definitely hit that follow button on apple podcast and subscribe button on spotify Let's hit a break here on Oklahoma's Leader in Golf, the 73rd Hole Podcast. When something the size of a golf ball hits your roof, you need to call McRae Roofing. McRae Roofing is Oklahoma's designer roofing service specialist. For years, Jeff McRae and the experienced team at McRae Roofing and Exteriors have served fellow Oklahomans by helping them with their roofing needs. McRae Roofing uses only top quality materials and professional crews to make sure that each job is done right so it will give you the years of service, security, and protection you need from the unpredictable Oklahoma weather. McRae Roofing offers residential and commercial roofing, ventilation services, and custom copper designs. McRae Roofing is dedicated to exceeding the homeowner's expectations. It's not just a roof, it is your home's crowning glory. Call McRae Roofing today at 405-692-4000. That's 405-692-4000. 
Make sure to also visit their website at mccrayroofing.com. That's M-C-R-A-Y roofing.com. Don't get caught with a leaking roof. Contact McRae Roofing for your free inspection today. And we're back here on the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Go get all of your local golf news from our man Kim McLeod and Chris Swafford up there in Tulsa doing a great job with GolfOklahoma.org. Local golf news this time of year means OU and OSU articles weekly. And this week... OU is heading to Harding Park on March 30th here in a couple of days. That's out in San Francisco. Big time course. We don't have that field yet on golf stat, but we'll definitely keep you updated on that. I'm assuming that's going to be a great field, and obviously it's going to be a great field where Oklahoma State is heading. That is the Haskins Award Invitational, and if you don't know what that is, that is the big college tournament before the Masters. It's in Augusta, Georgia at Forest Hills Golf Club on April 1st and April 2nd. And then I think they give, I don't know if they still do, but they used to give the team's tickets for one of the practice rounds there at Augusta National. A really cool deal. So we'll keep you guys updated on that. And if you want even more insight into OU and OSU golf, definitely go to golfoklahoma.org. T-Dub, a couple of other interesting things I saw that Tiger Woods and one Mike Trout are partnering to not only Tiger's obviously designing the golf course. I don't think you want Mike Trout designing the golf course, but they're designing um, and partnering together for a championship level golf course up in New Jersey. T-Dub, what are some other details we have on that? I mean, I think it's going to be a, a super cool little deal. And all honesty, I mean, Tiger's just adding to his repertoire of courses that he's going to build. Everyone knows Payne's Valley, Blue Jack National, but he's just adding on to the other courses he's getting on. He's going to be known as a type of Jack Nicholas type, it looks like, when it's all said and done when it comes to golf course architecture. The course name's going to be Trout National, the reserve, so I think that's, that's kind huge. of cool. It looks like, it's good. It looks like it's going to open in 2025, so be on the lookout for that. Might be some uh, some people wanting to go ahead and make some trips and, and plans around that because it's only two years out, so that'll be pretty cool and pretty fast in all honesty to get all that built when it comes to golf course arch- architecture so yeah I- i'm really excited by this says that uh says here with uh, with some holes meandering through uh desolate and evergreen forest and others draped over rolling farmland so it makes it sound pretty beautiful the pictures look pretty cool and uh, i'm interested to see how-, how tiger's golf course architecture evolves over his first few courses that's uh, something that i'm at least fairly interested in and see if uh, he can be halfway close to as good of a course designer as he is a golfer no doubt about it, and I know you're a golf course uh, design nerd and golf course architecture nerd, T-Dub. I mean, tell us a little bit about what may be some trademarks of some Tiger Woods courses, because I, I don't even know that, to be honest. Well, one thing you'll see is wide fairways, uh, and, and because of, we know why, because he can't well, hit the fairways, <laughs> and uh, that's one of the things we've seen at, at Payne's Valley, and one of the other things you're going to know, like, look, just looking at Blue Jack National, I never played, everyone says it's just absolutely gorgeous and magnificent. You see some pretty, some pretty cool, unique green uh, complex. You see strategic bunker placement. I, I think that Tiger, being a historian of golf like he is, looks at old courses like that and courses that he's played good on and has taken features from that as well. And I'll say probably the biggest thing I've seen from his core course, 
course architecture, especially at Payne's Valley, is that he's really just using the contours of the land. He's not, there's not a whole lot of uh, just complete manufacturing in a lot of areas. There are in some places, which you kind of have to do for modern golf, but uh, lo- using a lot of the land in proper ways. So Tiger's off to a good start now, and if you can just keep improving like a lot of uh, golf course architects have done in their career, I think he's going to design a very good golf course because I think one thing we know is that they're going to be kept in very good immaculate shape. No doubt about it. I'm excited to see how that one turns out. My fellow Eagles fan, Mike Trout, uh, combining with Tiger Woods for that project. I can't wait to see how that goes, T-Dub. We do have more golf this week leading up to Augusta National. The Valero Texas Open at TPC San Antonio. Terrell Hatton is your favorite this week. A 6.8% chance to win. Siwoo Kim is second at a 4.3% chance to win. Taylor Montgomery, 3.5% chance to win. Hideki Matsuyama at 3.3% chance to win. And like you mentioned before the break, Ricky Fowler is your fifth favorite at a 3.1% chance to win. Obviously, this week at TPC, non-elevated event, I will say I'll probably get ripped for this, but I I will say I'm a whole lot more excited for Liv this week to see how those guys are playing leading up to Augusta National, considering we've only seen them two times this this year. Um, And I'm excited to see how some bigger names play next week to kind of prognosticate what we might see at Augusta National. But I am interested in the Valero Texas Open, mainly because I want to see Ricky Fowler win, but I also want to see some guys that have been playing some solid golf. Taylor Montgomery, one of the best putters on the PGA Tour. Terrell Hatton, one of the best putters on the PGA Tour. I like their chances this week at the Valero Texas Open. Now, are they playing more uh, to practice for Augusta National and not taking this quite as serious? We don't know. We always kind of worry about that when, you know, picking for one-and-dones the week before major championships. Uh, But I do think you can take some things away from this, uh, you know, leading into Augusta National, T-Dub. It's very interesting because traditionally in uh, in the Valero Texas Open, and I'm going to stick the same way this year, really, anytime there's a big name up there or with someone who doesn't have, who's already in the Masters, knows they're playing next week with, you know, Ricky Fowler, not in that group. It's like, well, how much are they looking for just the next week? How much are they just really working on their games? Because one thing that's interesting, too, is that the two courses that they're playing, uh, the Live Down in Orlando and this week at TBC San Antonio, those courses are not very similar to what they're going to see at Augusta National. So that there's going to be a little bit of, you just want to see really how they're hitting the ball, maybe how they're putting, you know, on certain situations. You obviously want to have good form going into it, but I think even more so for the live guys, they'll be uh, wanting to have a little bit higher finish as opposed to guys who are, uh, because by the time they get done with the live tournament, those guys will have only played nine competitive rounds this year, which is just absolutely crazy going into Augusta. But one thing, Sam, that I think is pretty funny about the two events, how crazy is it that the PGA Tour is playing on a Greg Norman designed course the same week that there's a live? <laughs> That's a good point. I didn't even think about that. Uh, I remember because we played a, a college tournament down at TBC San, San Antonio, and Greg Norman was actually there that day. I have a, I took a picture. Uh, I didn't take a picture with him, but I took a picture of him. I mean, I was five feet away from him. He was doing something to, to promote the course. So, I mean, it's kind of funny to look back on what was that now, eight, nine years ago now, um, maybe actually even a decade now. And uh, to see just how the landscape of golf has changed. So yeah, I, I thought that was a, a pretty good tidbit. But yeah, playing I played that course before the the Oaks course. I only played it once. Our other tournament was over 
at the canyons course, but it's uh it's kind of a tricky little devil. There's uh if you miss the fairway, there's a lot of holes where the fairways are, are fairly generous. But if you miss the fairways, you're in some cactuses, you're on some rocks, and there are a lot of narrow holes out there as well. So I think it's it's kind of a kind of a quirky little design. The 16th hole has a bunker in the middle of the green, very similar to the sixth at Riviera, but even to a greater extent, I think the bunker consumes a lot more of the of the, the circumference of the of the of the green as compared. Riviera, so a little bit with that. The 17th hole is, is drivable in certain situations. 18 to par five, so there's a lot of drama that goes into it. So not the worst course on the PGA Tour, say in my opinion, but uh, especially leading up to the week before Augusta, I always thought it was weird that, that they picked this place because they used to have it at, at the Bell South. I remember Phil used to play it all the time, and that course was was obviously it's hard to replicate Augusta National, but it was a lot similar because it was in Georgia, similar graph things like that. I mean, the, th- this course. I couldn't think of – you could put this course on an entirely different – go to Mars and you could build a golf course that's more similar to Augusta National than uh, TBC San Antonio. <laughs> I agree with you on that. It made more sense uh, when it was the Houston Open and it was the same style of kind of overseeded rye grass leading into Augusta, not calling uh, Redstone or, or what a golf club of Houston. I'm not calling that Augusta National, but it was more similar than TBC San Antonio for sure. Um as far as guys that I like this week, my one-and-done pick this week is going to be Siwoo Kim. On Data Golf, he's ranked 36th in the world. On Official World Golf Ranking, he's ranked 39th in the world. So you might think, oh, solid, but not you know necessarily someone that I want to pick in my one-and-done. Number one, this is a non-elevated event, so I don't want to waste you know a Hideki this week at TPC San Antonio. But number two... Siwoo Kim has sneakily been playing some really solid golf, and he won at the Sony Open in Hawaii and then finished tied for 22nd, tied for 25th, tied for 23rd. He did miss the cut at Riviera, but then he finished 39th, 27th, and then obviously tied for 17th last week. But last week at the Dell Technologies match play, he did gain strokes in every single category. Um, So I like... Siwoo Kim's chances this week, mainly because he hasn't missed the cut here at the Valero Texas Open since 2016, and he did have a tied for fourth here back in 2019, and he finished tied for 13th here last year. I feel like it's a solid pick and a safe bet for a guy to make the cut this week at the Valero Texas Open. Give me Siwoo Kim. Sam, I appreciate you so much because you saved so much breath for me about the thing because I was going to say the exact same thing that you just did on every single realm. Uh, of Endeavor, because I have Siwoo Kim in the one and done as well, so there's not a chance in hell that he plays any so good. So he's going to miss the cut. The main, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's 100% what's going to happen. But the thing that I am, the main reason that I like Siwoo's chances is you mentioned that the last five times here he's made the cut. Well, also, every time he's played there, he's gained strokes gained on the green. So these are definitely services that he is comfortable with. So as all the things you alluded to, playing, playing good golf up to this point, did win at the Sony Open, which is something I, I even forget about. Uh, because I just think back to Jordan Speed leading the tournament, then missing the cut a- after that. That's what I remember from that tournament. But yeah, been playing really good golf since then on greens. They liked it in history, Sam. God love Siwoo this week. No doubt about it. I think everyone's favorite this week, uh, at least who they're going to be rooting for, is Ricky Fowler. Because if he wins, he gets into the Masters. That's the only way we'll see Ricky at Augusta National. In 2021, he finished tied for 17th here. In 2019, he finished tied for 17th here. He did miss the cut last year in 2022. I talked about his golf swing and the things I like about it since his switch back to Butch Harmon. 
Now, I think that the fact that he is not so hyper-focused on swing changes, like, yes, he's changing his swing, but I feel like he's changing his swing back to things that he's more comfortable with, has allowed him, T-Dub, to focus a little bit more on the putting. And T-Dub, in his last six events, he has gained over a shot on the field per round on the greens four different times out of those six events. And he seems to be playing some really solid golf. I like the putting recently. I like the iron play recently. The driver has been hit or miss so far with him. Hopefully, on a course that's pretty tight, he might be able to hit some three woods out there, get the ball in play, and take advantage of the great iron play and great putting he's had recently. That is how he's going to win the golf tournament, T-Dub. But you got to keep it in play off the tee on a course that Kevin Na will tell you uh, is definitely pretty penalizing off the tee. I'll tell you as well, because when I played it, I had all kinds of thorns and cacti and stuff in my legs. Yeah, it was not a whole lot of fun in certain situations, but like I was mentioning before the break, I mean, you look at it on the on paper analytically, yeah, you, Ricky's got a great chance to win this tournament. I just think that there's so much going on in his head that it's going to be tough. I'll say that he's played this tournament three times. He's two for three on cuts, man. Didn't make the cut last year. I hit the hit the ball off the tee, absolutely horrible. But the two years that he did, the other two years he made the cut, he finished t seventeenth. So that's pretty good. And so I expect him to finish somewhere around there, pretty much like he has all year. As you mentioned, his, his recent finish is 17th, 13th, 31st, 20th, 10th, 11th, 54th, 34th. Uh, he did finish second back of the Zozo, but that, that seems like a, a eternity ago. So I expect him to finish somewhere as he has, Sam. And uh, but like I said earlier, I'm actually rooting for him because I want to see him at Augusta. I think golf needs Ricky to be playing good golf, and it looks like he's on his way. I just think that he has a little bit more way to go before that. Uh, before we'll actually see it. Golf is always better with Ricky Fowler in the mix. Um, T-Dub, you know a guy that wasn't in the mix last week was my one-and-done pick, Terrell Hatton, and he had a little bit of a wrist injury before he teed off uh, for the group stages on Wednesday. They actually announced that he was about to withdraw from the tournament, and then he ended up playing, did you know lose his matches in the group play, it's interesting to me, and, and it, I'm going to be interested to see this week how healthy he actually looks because clearly last week, a guy that is great in match play normally, not only in this that tournament last week at the Dell Technologies match play, but in the Ryder Cup as well, we've seen him be very comfortable in match play. And this week, he didn't look comfortable, but I feel like that's because he was injured. I'm going to be looking, that's the main thing I'm going to be looking from from Terrell Hatton is how healthy is that wrist. Yeah, Hatton is someone that I would completely stay away from this week. You have the, the wrist issues, as you're talking about, so he could withdraw at, at any point, and especially the week before a major, the last thing he wants to do is aggravate that. This is a course that could easily frustrate Terrell Hatton, and that's a guy who, if he does get a little overly frustrated, you can see that there are times where it transcends over to the next shot. And so, yeah, I, I'm going to stay away from Hatton this week. I mean, he, he is the analytical favorite, and if it was just any other week, he would be the heavy favorite to win, and I would probably be picking him. But with the wrist and, and the, the course and what's what's going to happen next week at Augusta, I'm going to go ahead and stay away from Hatton, especially in one and done pulls. And I'm not even going to go with him on DraftKings because I think his price, his price is too high. No doubt. And then I mentioned Taylor Montgomery, one of the best putters on the PGA Tour, has been putting consistently great for about 20 events now, but he's never played here at the Valero Texas Open. That worries me a little bit with him. Uh, some other guys down the list here, maybe look out for a guy like 
Chris Kirk or Alex Knorr and even Corey Connors and Matt Kuchar played some solid golf last week at the match play. Maybe they can take that into uh, TPC San Antonio. Ryan Fox, he played some solid golf at the match play last week as well. T-Dub, Andrew Putnam played some solid golf. Is there anyone down the list here at TPC San Antonio that you think can make some noise and possibly get into Augusta National? Well, oh, two guys you mentioned earlier that, that I really like are Corey Connors and Matt Kuchar, not only because they played good golf last week, but that they absolutely love this golf course. Corey Connors won here back in 2019 and has, three, and has made the cut the other three times he's played here and has, has played the weekend every single time. And then Matt Kuchar, over the last, ever since 2012, has played this tournament, I believe, every year and has not missed the cut in any of those times as well, finished tied for second last year as well to J.J. Spawn. So I think those are some of the kind of guys that aren't necessarily at the very, very top but in the, the six to seven range that I think have a very good chance. A guy who's pretty undervalued in a lot of places is a guy like Nick Taylor. He's like 7,600 on DraftKings, and he's analytically the 62nd-ranked player in the world. I mean, he's been playing pretty good recently, finished 10th out at the Valspar. We all remember the uh, the second he had out in Phoenix, and he's also four for six on, on cuts at this course, so I expect him to, to play pretty well. A guy else also down the list, Thomas Dietrich. He played pretty well last week in Putacana, finished T8 has not played this course before, so that is a little bit worrisome, kind of like you were mentioning with some other guys earlier, Sam, but uh, he, he's definitely a, a great player. He's 70th analytically in the world, so yeah, those are maybe a couple guys who you might be able to find some value on who would be able to uh, maybe pay some high dividends on some best bets. No doubt about it, T-Dub. Go ahead and give the people your DraftKings lineup for TPC San Antonio. Well, a lot of guys, we already mentioned, the Corey Connors, Matt Kuchar are, are my two most expensive, I expect them. To play pretty, to play good for the reason I mentioned earlier. Nick Taylor's also in my lineup. The guys I have in my lineup we hadn't mentioned, you kind of mentioned him earlier, Andrew Putnam at 7,800. He played pretty good last week, and so I expect him to ride a little bit of that momentum. And the two other guys I have at 7,000, that Padraig Harrington, I need the cheap guy, and he's been playing exceptionally well on the, uh, on the, on the Champions Tour. And also, too, he, he hits the ball extremely far for his age. It's actually pretty cool to, to see in a lot of areas. So, yeah, he was a pretty good cheap value play. He's played this course pretty well. In the past, and then at 8,000, another guy who's been playing pretty well. That's on Nikolai Hoygaard. Finished second at, uh, at, at Putacana last week and has been playing exceptionally well in the DP World Tour. So whenever you don't have the strongest field team, you have to find a little bit of value even in the middle ranges. And I feel like someone like Nikolai Hoygaard at 8,000 has a really good chance to potentially break through and win his first PJ Tournament. No doubt. I think that's a solid DraftKings lineup, T-Dub. The last thing I want to get to with the PGA Tour is I do want to give a shout-out to not only Sam Stevens, who is from Wichita, but played his college golf at Oklahoma State and played on the Oklahoma Junior Golf Tour growing up. He finished tied for third at the Corrales Punta Cana Championship, and Austin Ekro as well. He finished 16 under, one shot back of Sam Stevens, solo fifth place in Punta Cana. Um, and he, I mean, Ekro got hibachi on that Saturday where he shot a 28 on the front nine, uh, shot a 38 on the back nine, a wild way to shoot a 66 there, but some solid play there from Austin Eckroat and Sam Stevens. Matt Wallace ends up winning the golf tournament at 19 under. You mentioned uh, Nikolai Hoshgard, or Ho- Ho- Hoygaard. How do you say that, T-Dub? I-, I liked how you said that. Nikolai Hoygaard is how I've heard it pronounced okay. on the whenever they do the DP World Tour coverage. So unless they've been getting Beautiful. it wrong, I think I'm pretty Not, close. Hey, I, I like that. I like that. But Matt Wallace does end up clipping him by one shot. And it's interesting because Matt Wallace was in the news because uh, the week before – 
he was screaming at his caddy about, you know, a club selection off the cart path and, and kind of went viral for screaming at his caddy. Turns out, I, I think they rectified things. He ends up winning the golf tournament uh, at 19 under par. So I thought that was pretty interesting, but great golf from Sam Stevens and Austin Eckroad as well. Right, T-Dub? Oh, 100%. Yeah, at one point it looked like it was the uh, the Oklahoma State Open. I mean, they, they had so many guys up there, even a Wyndham Clark, uh, someone who we had picked in our one-and-done was up there as well. Former OSU guy ended up transferring to Oregon his last year. But, but yeah, it was actually a pretty good, interesting tournament. And someone like Matt Wallace able to, to come back and win. It's a guy who back in 2019 was actually a really good player. He got up to, I believe, a top 25, 30 player in the world. And he was he was really good. He's actually one of the best putters in the game at that point. And look at it now. He actually hit his, he hits his irons now better than he used to. But he hits the ball a little bit shorter and his putting is way, way down where he used to be. He's an average putter when it comes to tour standards, but he used to be absolutely elite. So it's uh, it's good to see him win out there. And if he can get that putter rolling back to where it was, Sam, Matt Wallace is going to be a player that we need to look out for because he's uh, only 30. He's about to be 33 years old, so still pretty young and has an immense amount of talent. There is no doubt about it. T-Dub, let's talk about Live Golf Orlando. And this is at Orange County National this week. I think you're going to be able to take a lot of things from this golf tournament, from the bigger names that we haven't seen play very good golf in the first two events. If I read off the top 10 on the Live Golf standings right now, Charles Howell, our man, friend of the show, is in first place on the Live Golf standings. I think it's unfortunate that he's not able to play at Augusta National because I feel like he's playing the best golf that he has played maybe even this decade, T-Dub, but he finished first and fifth in his first two tournaments. Carlos Ortiz is second. Danny Lee is third. Peter Uline is fourth. Brendan Steele is fifth. Brandon Grace is sixth. Paul Casey is seventh. Louis Eustazen is eighth. Medio Pereira is ninth. And Pat Perez is tenth. T-Dub, I don't see Cam Smith, uh, maybe a Matthew Wolf, Sergio Garcia, Taylor Gooch, Joaquin Neiman, Dustin Johnson, Brooks Kepka, Bryson DeChambeau. What are those guys going to play like this week? And, and, I mean, what guys are you really looking for for form this week? Because I, I think a Bryson I wouldn't expect to play very well. I think his body's breaking down on him. But I do expect a guy like a Taylor Gooch, or, who finished 14th in his first two live events, to maybe go out there and, and get himself a top five leading into Augusta National to kind of give himself some confidence after the long layoff that we've talked about, T-Dub. These guys have never had an offseason, and they, we've only seen them two times at courses that might not have suited their game. Let's see what these guys play like in Orlando this week. I think you're going to be able to take a lot out of it, and it's going to be the most entertaining live event so far, T-Dub. I think this is going to be one that garners the most anticipation for sure. Maybe maybe the first one drew a little bit just because we, we've had it finally on, on CW, a TV coverage, so maybe there's a little bit to that. But as far as just the golf, 100% it's going to be this week. I think there are, what, maybe 18 players or so that are playing 18. in this. In That's this. correct. 18 live players are playing at Augusta National for the Masters. Exactly. And so you got to be look, looking at those guys, really anyone else. It's not like it's not like TPC San Antonio. You can't win the live event and then get in the Masters. So there's not that type of pressure by any stretch. And the guys on that list are obviously Dustin Johnson, Cam Smith, and uh, even like a Joaquin Neiman, guys who really haven't been playing particularly well 
this year. And uh, even like Brooks Kepka, Bryson DeChambeau, guys who have won majors in the past, are they going to start showing a little bit of form? Are they going to figure out that, like I mentioned earlier, and I've been saying this, they're only by the time they get done with this tournament, there will only be nine competitive rounds that they've played going into a major. It's just crazy to, to think that if you looked at any other player and thought that, on the PJ Tour, you'd say there's no chance they're going to win. They they don't have enough experience. So, but and there are some other situations where, for example, Thomas Peters had played over in in right. Saudi and all that. So yes, there there may be some more and more actual Dancer rounds. Obviously, in there. won at the Saudi International. There's been some other rounds played, but none recently. Hey, exactly. So it's they, they, they still have to get their feet wet in, in a lot of areas. And yeah, it's if someone goes out, what will really catch my eye is one of these names that we're talking about goes out. And just show, just puts on a dominant performance, wins by three or four shots, and that'll be like, okay, that'll be someone we, we may need to look out for. But if you have someone out of that not not top uh, eighteen guys that are going to play at Augusta, if someone else wins, and then there's a couple guys just around there, I mean, if if the eye test proves that they're hitting the ball well and and they're putting good, then maybe so. But uh, yeah, it's I'm gonna have to see something very particularly from the guys, all those guys in there, because no one's really stuck out so far. Uh, in the first two live events, maybe you could say Louie, who finished runner up there. But I mean, he, I, I would not pick him to, to I'd pick him to play good potentially at, at Augusta, but I wouldn't pick him to win it. So yeah, these, someone's got to show me something saying for me to give them a realistic chance to get the green jacket. Yeah. Let's talk about the guy in 12th place on the live standings. That is Cam Smith. Now he's going to be a popular pick at Augusta national considering his recent performances at the masters, but he finished sixth in the first live event at Mayakoba, uh, and then finished 26th in the last event in Tucson. Um, I haven't necessarily seen the great ball striking, especially with the driver. Off the tee, Cam Smith has been struggling a little bit more than he even... He was never a great driver of the golf ball, but it's really costing him shots, especially in Tucson. I, I think we saw that. That was the club that really hurt him. Uh, and we've seen it under pressure at times with Cam Smith, whether it be the misses right in Memphis that we've seen. Um, but we've, we've seen it coming down the stretch that he doesn't really trust that driver. I am looking for... Cam Smith, in this week, what my eye test is going to be telling me is how is Cam Smith driving the ball? Or how is Dustin Johnson putting this week? Or is Taylor Gooch hitting fairways? Because when he hits fairways, he's able to compete. Uh, Talk about Taylor Gooch, Dustin Johnson, and Cam Smith this week, what your eye test is looking for. Are you looking for anything else other than what I just said? No, I think you're spot on, especially with, with Gooch. If he's able to hit fairways, his iron play is going to be able to dominate. And he finished 14th last year at Augusta, his only appearance there. So I'm expecting some, some – I expect him to play pretty good this week at, at the Live, and then I expect him to play good next week at Augusta. And then Dustin Johnson and Cam Smith. Cam Smith did win the last major that was contended, so you got to think that he has somewhat of a chance. But the, but the driver is just – it's not there. And the two courses that he's played, Mike Coben and Tucson, Tucson was fairly generous off the tee, but at the same time, if you missed it, you were heavily penalized, and that was definitely the case down at Mayakoba. So two two courses that aren't comparable whatsoever to Augusta National, by the way, Mayakoba and Tucson. No, very similar to TVC San Antonio. Go go get the go get the golf course on Jupiter, and it'll be more similar. So yeah, I mean, it's these guys. I'm gonna have to see something. If any of these guys somehow finishes outside of the top ten, Sam, they're just gonna show me that they're not playing their best golf. I, the situation I could see is maybe let, let's say a guy plays bad the first couple of days, then Dustin Johnson goes out and shoots 64 in, in the third round. Then you're like, okay, well, maybe he found something and figured out, or Cam Smith figures it out and does the exact same thing, or TG does that. 
I, I think that that's maybe a situation where if they don't win or don't finish up there, that you would be a little bit more more bullish on them going into Augusta. But at the same time, I think in all honesty, for me to to say I'm going to think that Dustin Johnson is going to win the Masters, I would need to see him win this tournament by probably three or four shots. Maybe Cam Smith could finish top three, and I think he'd win Augusta just from what I saw last year with the exception of that shot on 12. He had a great chance to win there, and he really likes Augusta National. Still the only player to ever shoot all four rounds in the 60s on the course. It was during when it was in November, so a little different course, but still at the same time, Sam. That's a hell of a record to have, and any time you have that record and you step on that golf course, you have at least a little bit of a chance. No doubt about it. Abraham Answer has finished, uh, I think, tied for 13th at Augusta National before. He finished 17th and 28th in his first two live events after winning the Saudi International against guys like Cam Young uh, that were in that golf tournament. Uh, so I'd look for him to maybe have a better week this week. Patrick Reed finished 38th and 18th in his first two live events. And we mentioned guys like Bubba Watson, 40th and 23rd coming off an injury plus the long layover. Um, I, I don't really expect much from him. Bryson to Shambo 24th and 44th uh, in his first two live events. Not great golf. We saw a little bit of form uh, from Phil Mickelson at times uh, in Tucson, but 27th and 32nd. Uh, not great finishes for him. And Brooks Kepka, 31st and 29th. Now, we know that Brooks is the type of guy to get up for major championships, um, but I am looking for Brooks Kepka. Abraham Answer and Patrick Reed uh, to have good weeks this week in Orlando because I feel like they've probably been practicing more than they have or more than they did before the first two live events considering the long off season and the first time they've ever had that. Well, from what I saw on social media, Sam, looks like Kepka's too busy going to hockey games and, and dressing like a clown than he is working on his golf game. So maybe he can, maybe he can figure something out. But as we've seen, he, he's not. Has just hasn't been playing very good this year. And then even going back to last year, a guy who's known for playing so well in the majors, two two fifty fifth finishes and then two missed cuts. So definitely had lost a little bit of something with his game. I noticed it at Southern Hills. He didn't have the same compression as a lot of the other guys did, and nothing really stood out about what I saw in this game. He did he didn't doesn't putt the ball exceptionally well anymore. He used to make a lot of putts in majors, so maybe he can get a little bit of that that fire coming back. But uh, but yeah, Kepka and maybe with the exception of Bryson DeChambeau, uh, Kepka is the one who I'm going to need to see a lot change before I think that he's going to contend in another major. Just uh, I, I think it's I think it's more injury related than it was him just not caring anymore. Because as you saw in the Netflix series, he absolutely does care. I just think that injury really really set him back in a lot of ways. No doubt about it, T Dub. It's time to make our picks for Live Golf Orlando. I will start us off since I still haven't gotten a point yet this year. I don't think maybe I got a, a half a point or something at Tucson, but my picks have not been very good uh, so far on live. It's tough. I mean, these guys have had long off seasons, but anyways, I am going with Cam Smith as my individual this week. Who are you going with at live golf Orlando for your individual? Well, I, I do think Cam Smith is going to have some motivation going into this term, I guess I'll go with the guy that's leading it analytically favor. Give me Dustin Johnson. He's got a 6.9% chance to win Joaquin Neiman's down there in second. I thought about picking our man Charles Howell. I mean, that is a guy who just absolutely plays phenomenally in these live events. Only only four guys have beaten him in the uh, in the first two events, and he only lost by one shot. Should have really been in that playoff if he could have navigated 
the part three is a little better, a little bit better. So if you if there, if Woody was here and you would have taken Cam Smith and Dustin Johnson, I would have went with our man Charles Howe. But uh, I'm going to go ahead and go with DJ because I think that he is going to be motivated to play for Augusta. And this looks like don't know a whole lot about this course, but it looks like of course that's it's 7,500 yards, fairly close to sea level. So that's uh, distance is going to be fairly paramount. And the coolest thing about this course, Sam, I didn't realize this was the place that had it. There's a real famous circular driving range. That is just, it's two-tiered. It's absolutely crazy how huge it is. And it's at this golf course. So I remember the very first live event in, in London, you, you had guys having to share bays, did the balls. There's absolutely zero chance that you're going to have to share a bay at this. You could have a shotgun tournament on five different courses <laughs> and still have enough room to hit a ball in this course. So uh, I may be tuning in earlier than usual, Sam, just see what the damn range looks like. That's cool stuff, and that's one of the cool things that Liv has added is after the rounds, they go to the range and do interviews with guys and talk about what they're working on. We'll be able to see that circular range this week, T-Dub. Go ahead and give us your team picks, and since I went first with the individuals, you go first with the team. Well, since you I, you would think that I could go with maybe the Ripper, since you have Cam Smith kind of hedge my bet on this, so if you get a point, I get a point. Could go with the four aces to, to hammer up with... Uh, with uh, with Dustin Johnson kind of get a, a two for one. But I'm going to go with the Crusher, Sam. I've been relying on lately. I think Charles Howe's going to play pretty good. They do have Bryson, who absolutely brings them down a lot. But but Paul Casey, probably the, the fifth or sixth best player on live, and then Lahiri has been playing fairly decent, not exceptionally well, but at least pretty good. So I'm going to go with the Crusher, Sam. Not a bad pick. The Crushers right now are third in the team standings. They finished first in the first event at Mayakoba and then finished ninth at the second event in Tucson. I'm going to go with the four aces, T-Dub. They finished second and second in their first two events, and that's with Dustin Johnson not even playing his best golf. And so I think that I'm looking for a big week from the four aces. I like your pick in Dustin Johnson. I'm not going to go with Ripper. They finished fifth and fifth in their first two events. Uh, so I'm going to hedge my bets a little bit and do what you just said. I'm going with your individual picks team. Give me the four aces this week uh, at Live Golf Orlando. You got to always love a good hedging of the bets, Sam. I think that is a good way to not just live in sports, Bang, but to live all life. So, and I, look out for the, the range goats as well. I mean, TG and Thomas Peters are, are kind of been carrying that team. Harold Varner and, and Bubba need to start playing a little bit better, but, uh, but yeah, look out for them. They still have the best logo and it's not even close to the teams on league. Also, I always want to root for them, but, uh, having the first pick just from what I've seen the first, uh, first few events, I can't go that far just yet. And then obviously Woody's not here, but I'm sure he would be taking the fireballs, the Latin America team. They finished sixth in their first event and they finished first, obviously at live golf Tucson, Carlos Ortiz has been playing some great golf. I look for Abe Anser to be playing a little bit better golf leading into Augusta National. And Chikara and Sergio Garcia should be motivated. Uh, Sergio should definitely be motivated headed into Augusta National. T-Dub, did we miss anything today in the world of golf? I'm sure there's one or two things that we didn't get to. But at the same time, I, I just I got Masters fever so bad, Sam. It's not even funny. Because it starts next week going to be at the par three contest already looking at the weather there there's some apps saying there's no chance of rain there's some apps saying there's like 30 percent chance of rain so i'm i you know that back of my mind i'm thinking oh no please please don't please god please just put put it off for a day or have the storm come a day sooner please for the love of god just let it happen but uh, at this point sam 
I'm looking so far into uh, looking so far ahead in the Masters. It's not even funny. I got the uh, it's like the week before Christmas. There's nothing else that I can think about at this point. So uh, you, if we want to talk about Masters, I'm all for it. But really, anything else in the game of golf, I got a tunnel vision at this point. No doubt about it. And even in today's show, I keep relating everything back to Augusta National, not on purpose, just subliminally, because I know that Christmas morning for golf fans is only a week away. And like I said, we will be there live in person. T-Dub will be there uh, for Wednesday. I'll be there for Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So we'll have someone down there all week for live coverage. We'll have Craig Humphreys on uh, for live coverage throughout the week. And if you're in the Oklahoma City area, area definitely tune in to wwls the sports animal we'll be doing live hits throughout the week from augusta national like i said big preview show here on the podcast on tuesday we'll give you guys all of your best bets the picks every single year if you haven't tuned in to our masters previews before and you're new to the show this year we go through basically every guy in the tournament and give you our thoughts on not only their recent play, but their history at Augusta National. And so definitely tune into that if you're in Masters pools or just want to bet on the golf tournament or if you're just a golf fan in general and want to know who is going to win the golf tournament, definitely tune in next Tuesday evening to our Masters preview. T-Dub, thank you. This has been Sam Humphreys on the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma.